Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, October 26th. Earlier this week, the Bank of Canada announced the key interest rate will remain at 5%. Good news, but it doesn't help much for those looking to renew their mortgage. We get some advice on how to navigate your upcoming mortgage renewal with John Ripko, sales representative with Royal LePage Benchmark. Next, we catch up with Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Deborah shares the Chamber's agenda when it comes to what the organization hopes to see from the provincial government when the new legislature session kicks off next week. And finally, Alberta's oil sands have faced numerous challenges over the years, being labeled as tar sands and dirty oil. But the oil sands are turning perceived weaknesses into strengths. We discuss the future of the industry with Heather Exner Perot, Director of the Natural Resources, Energy and Environment Program with the McDonald Laurier Institute. The Bank of Canada announcing yesterday they're holding the key interest rate at 5%, but that's not providing a lot of relief for people who are looking to renew their mortgage in the very new fu- near future. Joining us to talk about how to navigate an upcoming renewal is John Ripko, sales representative with Royal LePage Benchmark here in Calgary. Good morning, John. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. The 2023 mortgage renewal survey is out. Can you break down a couple of the key findings that might be uh, interesting for us here in Calgary and in Alberta? Well, basically, 75% of people who currently hold mortgages have them coming, have their term coming up for renewal sometime in the next two and a half to three years. And uh, it's approximately 20% of them are also on variable mortgages, which basically impacts them immediately. All right, so let's let's break this down here. Uh, the impact when we're watching these rates, we always think about you know the variable rates that people are on, but it can also impact the fixed rates, can't it, to a certain extent? Greatly. In fact, in uh, our opinion, if your mortgage is coming up sometime in the next uh, anywhere, let's say from six to eighteen months from now, people should start considering what their options are at that time and speaking with their mortgage associate, bank, whomever they're dealing with, with regard to determining what the cost would be at that time, assuming today's rates hold true. And I'll, so I'll, subsequently... I'll, uh, sorry, you finish your thought. Yeah, so subsequently, if they're currently paying, say, uh, 1.99%, and they're going to end up paying 6% mortgage, how's that going to impact their monthly rate? So that'll force them to have some... Um, I'll call it depending on the risk risk tolerance will then determine what they want to do or how they're going to manage that. So, I mean, we look at that, John, and that's going to affect, you're right, a whole lot of people, and that's quite a big jump. So are there better options available, or is it kind of, you know, the best of the worst out there when we go to the mortgage renewal? Well, it depends on people's risk tolerance. From that standpoint, what I'm referring to is, and again, that's why they should be talking to a mortgage person well before the end of their current term comes up to uh, for renewal, is some people will look at alternate lenders. The, the risk with that is they will then still have to follow the OSFI rules, meaning to say they'll have to have the, um, uh, they'll have to qualify with the increased rate, like 2% higher than whatever the postal grade is to uh, follow the OSFI rules. Alternately, they can look at changing the amortization period to extend that, and that'll be lender-by-lender lender decisions. Some lenders will not allow that, but most lenders will consider that. Alternately, uh, some people, depending on uh, how flexible they are with regard to their budgets, may need to take on a second job or have their partner look at uh, getting a job if they're uh, not currently working. Some people will definitely have to downsize to a slightly smaller home, 
meaning to say the mortgage will actually decrease. And ultimately, we see some people actually looking at or uh, with the city's impetus to have secondary suites, looking at having a secondary suite in their home to offset uh, their cost and have some additional income. And it could be, and by the way, we're speaking with John Ripko, sales representative, Royal LePage Benchmark here in Calgary, talking about those mortgage rates moving ahead as the BOC held the key interest rate at 5% announced yesterday. Uh, you know, and John, it's interesting because for, for a lot of people who have not renewed in, in quite some time, Things have changed depending on what sort of a term you're on. And even, for example, for some people, this renewal not only hit with a different rate, but it might be their first time coming up against a stress test. How, how does that factor in with the rates being so high? Well, the stress test will, will only come into play if they're changing institutions. If they're staying with the same lending institution, the stress test does not come into play at all. Let's talk about that, John. Institutions, can we, can, so if my mortgage is due, uh, can I pull it, go from, a, say, a, a major bank to somewhere else that's going to give me a better rate? You can go anywhere, but again, the risk there is, will you qualify with the stress test? Yeah. Because it's not just, you know, even if the new lender is, say, a half a point or a full point lower than your current institution, you may not qualify with the stress test added on where your current institution does not apply the stress test. I know that, uh, John, mortgage brokers have been around for quite some time, but back in the day, it was go to the major handful of banks that we see, you know, in this strip malls and go with these trusted names. Uh, but then the mortgage brokers came in and did op- offer up these different, you know, options for us. Is there a benefit on going with a big bank for a mortgage, or does it really make no difference if you are going to one of these alternate lenders? I have my personal opinion on that, and uh, that might be uh, pretty dangerous to discuss because I'm more of a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I, my opinion is for the general public to simply stay with whomever they believe gives them the best service because it's not just the rate. It's also their prepayment privileges and all sorts of other elements, such as if they sell their home by choice prior to the end of a term, some lenders charge a massive penalty, whereas others, uh, they'll charge a minor penalty. So look at all the factors, not just what the rate is. Don't There's bear- a lot more to decide. Yeah. There's a lot more to determine than just the rate. Don't bury your head in the sand on this one, right, John? We've got to pay attention to it and do what's best for us and, and talk to the people who know better than we do, which is pretty much anybody in this case. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate your perspective. My pleasure. Thanks for calling. Thanks, John Ripko, sales rep with Royal LePage, Benchmark in Calgary. Yeah. And, uh, you know, great point. Don't don't let it just run out and say, ah, oh, you know, I'm hooped. Take Get somebody who's got good information. Go to a couple of people if you need to. Find out what's the best for you. Well, and what's very interesting is is how the, you know, the goalpost moves in that, uh, and if, you'll, if you'll recall, because I pay close attention to these things, I'm not up for a while. I have to do my due diligence. I think, it's, I think it's two years or 18 months from now. But, you know, as far as... You're looking at these things and thinking, because we have previous, we always go by our previous experience, like you say, leaving it for the last minute. Uh, but can you make those decisions now to set yourself up? Because if if you're left, like anything in life, like I keep rubbing it in, like your passport, <laughs> if you, you had to pay the additional fees That's because right. you left it too long. Yep. This is the way it is because it's a different game. And for me, in our house, what happened in 2018, I'm not sure a lot of folks out there will remember, nothing like today, but my variable, and everybody said, go variable. 
because in the long run you'll you'll save money. Right. I did, and then that was the time where my mortgage went up six hundred bucks a month over about eight month period uh, to six hundred bucks a month. And at the time we were looking at, you know, we needed to either renovate because we have an, uh, our next child on the way, mm-hmm. or consider moving. Moving wasn't on the table until it went up six hundred bucks a month. Yeah. And I found a house around the corner from my current house that needed some renos, and I got in because. What do you do when you're up against it like that? Well, yeah, I mean, the option is you don't pay your mortgage or you make a move, literally or figuratively, yep. right? So you have to do something. I know I just bought my ex out of my house, uh, what, a year ago, So and they're, they recommended just lock in for two years because it'll, it'll get better. Yeah. So now my mortgage will be up for renewal in September of 2024. Are things going to be any this better by all, then? This is what I'm I doubt it. This is part of the two-prong that I forgot I was going to bring up in the sense that originally on the program we talked about it'll be like a year. Yeah. And now they've moved that further down the line, like yeah. three years. Yes. Maybe up to four. I mean, so it's... Yeah, the the days of two point five percent and even under four seem to be gone for for the foreseeable future. Sadly, so, so that t- timing and that prep, do you start putting extra money aside a couple Who's years ahead? Who's got extra money? There's Schultz. the other thing, right? Do you? Can you? Loan me a few bucks? No, I'm busy paying for two people right now. (laughs) So, no. So, and I don't think most people who are, you know, working to get, make sure that they've got a roof over their heads, put food on the table, make sure they've got clothes for their kids. There's not a lot of extra money for most of us these days. Yeah. Well, we do have an answer, though, on the text line. Do we? Dave sent an answer in, and this is... It's problem solved. <laughs> what is it? You can I, read it. I'll I let think, you do that. Ah, uh, there you are, Dave. He didn't mention my super plan, says Dave. Win the lottery and pay off my mortgage. You'd be shocked. They've done studies on that. And I know Dave's just joking with us, but you know we all hope that and dream that. But that's actually the retirement plan, the literal retirement plan for... Many, many people, many Canadians, many North Americans is to win the lottery. And on that note, Dave, I drove past the 7-Eleven this morning and they've got the What's board it? up. Yeah, and? The lotto max tomorrow night is $50 million. We should be able to pay it off at that point. The provincial government returns to the legislature on Monday. And this morning, we're chatting with the Calgary Chamber about what the business community hopes to see prioritized when they get back to business up in the capital. Joining us to discuss is Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning to you. Welcome back to the program, Deb. Thanks for having me on this cold morning. It is cold. You made it in. You're a trooper. (laughs) We love that about you. Uh, So... What are your asks or expectations in the upcoming legislature session? Do you have a list together, Deborah? Well, we uh, we do have a list. Uh, we want to see that businesses are supported appropriately in the province, and so we're looking, obviously, for fiscal prudence uh, measures that could ar- address a rising co- rising costs, reduction, continued reduction of red tape. We want to see long term sustainability. Uh, anything that and we, we and we don't want to see anything that sort of introduces an element of uncertainty. Uh, and we want to make sure that we continue to be a financially uh, attractive place to invest. So that's you know that's 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 part of it. The economic diversification piece is also very important in terms of how we continue to capitalize on our energy sector and the the clean tech momentum that we have. And we you know we need regulatory certainty. We're looking for you know clarity on the investment tax credits. Let's see what that looks like from a carbon capture and storage utilization perspective, and you know how they're going to advance the, the the hydrogen potential. And we'd like to see an end to that moratorium on renewables. Let's talk about jobs because we know there are a lot of available jobs and not enough people to fill them. 
is is the labor side of things also something that the chamber is looking at? Yeah, the labor side of things is very important. We still we continue to see a, a skills mismatch, b a gap in terms of how we bring uh, new immigrants into the workforce and make sure that they're accredited, upskilled, and reskilled. And that's you know that's a funding issue. We have to figure out how to work with the with the province and with post secondary. And the minister of post secondary, uh, Rajan Sani, is is very very focused on how do we make how do we close those gaps. So it's really a function of really making sure that the government understands what the, what they are and what needs to be put in place. Mm-hmm. But it is absolutely critical because without closing that gap, we continue to see upward pl- pressure on on wages, and that's that contributes to an inflationary environment, which we just don't want to see anymore. We asked you for your list. You shared it with us, uh, Deborah. And speaking with Deborah Yedlin, President, CEO of Calgary Chamber, I, I don't know if we've ever broached this. As far as, you know, the legislature getting back together, um, but obviously you're not the only chamber. You've got Edmonton, probably Lethbridge and Red Deer. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a communication with the other chambers in the cities and is it kind of a strength in numbers? Do you guys get together ahead of a new session and discuss things? How, do, how does that work? We do have some common themes in terms of what we, what we need, want to see. And one of the things we're all faced with is the issue of downtown vibrancy, mm. safety, mental health issue, what do we do to make sure that our cities have that vibrant downtown core? So everybody's looking for support for infrastructure investment to make sure that we can change some of the, the issues that we're, that we're dealing with in every major jurisdiction. What about uh, taxes, like property taxes, for example? That's got to be a big thing that you're looking at as well. How, you know, that division, particularly between, you know, businesses and, and property. That's a municipal issue. Right. And so, I mean, the, what we're looking at, though, is when you see look at the uh, municipal taxes and the ratio of what businesses pay relative to what residences pay, mm-hmm. we know that that ratio continues to go up. And what's projected right now is that businesses will pay 4.69 times the rate of what residences pay. If it gets to 5 to 1, if that ratio is 5 to 1, then the province can step in. Okay. And so in as much as the province doesn't have anything to do with property taxes and how that, that it, those are set, um, if that number hits that five to one ratio, then the province does step in. So I think, you know, there is, there is a dynamic there. We're not there yet. We'd like not to get there. Right. And so that's, I, the, you know, for sure that the, um, the uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs is going to be watching that very carefully. Okay. Deborah, I know we're just a little over 24 hours into it with the Bank of Canada announcement holding the line at 5%. Uh, but we've been super focused on because, you know, as individuals, not business owners, our mortgages, maybe our car loans. But what have you heard from business owners about the news from the BOC of holding the rate? That's a, There's a sense of relief because people were very worried. You know, the numbers were starting to come out saying that we are seeing, see, starting to see the impact of higher rates slowing the economy down. You know, that the unemployment numbers starting to creep up a little bit and seeing that sort of slowdown in economic activity. So that means what higher interest rates are supposed to be doing, they're doing. And so that took the firepower out of the Bank of Canada looking at another interest rate hike. And that's a huge relief because that provides some some certainty. And it also gives time for that interest rate policy to continue to work as it is right now. So I think that's it was it was a welcome news. And obviously the, the Bank of Canada was very nuanced in its mm-hmm. message as it always is. But, uh, you know, everybody's quite hopeful that this is the end and we'll yeah. s- sit at this level for a bit 
and then we'll start to see interest rates start to come down, but that won't happen until next year. Businesses and individuals both, for yes. sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know how much you want to get into this. Uh, curious, though, you know, speaking of unsure, uh, the APP, or Alberta Pension Plan, are the business owners talking to you about this? I mean, we can all have our own personal opinions, but as a chamber, what are you doing to focus in on that and talk to your people? Well, what we did was during, uh, in the summer, we did do a survey across the province and asked what the priorities were for businesses. And the priorities were you know, cost of doing business, talent, affordability, housing affordability, this pension plan issue was part way it, down right? the yeah. list. And so, you know, we respect the government's decision to study this issue, but we see it from the perspective that it is going to cause further uncertainty. And as you saw yesterday, there is a continued, there's growing concern across the country about what this means. And Deputy mm-hmm. Prime Minister Freeland is going to be meeting with the fin- def- provincial finance minister. So um, this is taking on another life of its own. Yeah. And, um, you know, but businesses, anything that that causes uncertainty. It's bad, that could right? compromise our yeah. ability to invest, uh, draw investment into the province and into the country, is is something that we should all be very concerned about. I understand that you have plans at lunch, Deborah. Deborah Yetlin. <laughs> I do have one plans. Chamber. Do you want to join me? Uh, with another one, <laughs> with another one of our regular guests who is uh, scheduled to appear tomorrow, Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Yes. Tell us about what's going on at the Telus Convention Center. We are having, uh, we're hosting the mayor for uh, a, a keynote and for a fireside chat. So we'll be hearing about her priorities for for, for city council. I am sure we'll be talking about property taxes, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's it'll be a good conversation. Obviously. It's since we haven't done this for a year, we do it once a year, and um, since the last time we've had, we have the announcement of an event center and the government coming forward and you know committing to the uh, the funding that was confirmed about three weeks ago. So uh, there'll be a lot to discuss. When you do things like this, is this just for chamber members or nope. is everybody so invited? Anybody, CalgaryChamber.com. Go to that website. Get a ticket. Still tickets available Still tickets for lunch today? You bet. And we're all hungry at lunch. We know that. Yeah, especially when it gets cold. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Fantastic. Uh, final question. Uh, are you dressing up for Halloween? Potentially. <laughs> um, you don't want right to now. give it away or what? Well, you know, I have, a, I, have a, I have a T-shirt that says, you can do anything you want to do, but if number 97 wants it badly, you're not going to get it. So that's, of course, Connor McDavid. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. fantastic. So you're going to go as an Edmonton Oilers, are you saying? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a scary, scary it's costume. It's a scary thought, and I know. And the daring one. And the Heritage Classics on Sunday yes. in Edmonton. So are you, gonna, are you going to that? Maybe. Oh, wow. It might be too cold to sit outside. The diehard fans. You probably know people. You get an indoor seat. No, I don't. <laughs> I can't get into one of the boxes. And uh, one final Halloween question, because we're going to be delving into it tomorrow and the, the, over the next few days. Uh, favorite Halloween candy? Mm. Oh, gosh. I'm allergic to peanuts and tree nuts. So for me, it was like a co- coffee crisp. Okay, yeah. You don't yeah. get to have the Reese's pe- oh, God, uh, no, peanut butter Oh, God, no, no, no. I used oh, to come I'm home, so- and I'd dump my, my, my pillowcase, and my parents would take out all the nuts, and I'd end up with a very small pile of candy relative to everybody else at school. It was not fair. Well, I'll trade you. If you get it, I, I, when you get any uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and I get coffee crisps, we'll meet, and we'll just exchange. <laughs> you don't like it. coffee crisps? I'd rather the peanut butter oh, cup. okay. So wow, I, I, can't, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> fair enough. Well, uh, happy Halloween, happy weekend, happy stay warm out there, because it's pretty chilly this yeah. morning. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Again, and if you want to go to the lunch, the uh, Chamber lunch with the Mayor, you can certainly do that. Tickets and all the info you need, calgarychamber.com. It's been called the tar sands or dirty oil, but Alberta's oil sands are changing the narrative and perceived weaknesses into strengths. Joining us to discuss is Heather Exner-Perot, 
Senior Fellow and Director of the Natural Resources, Energy and Environment Program at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Good morning to you, Heather. Good morning, guys. Well, despite the ongoing criticism of our oil sands here in Alberta, what are the reasons that you see optimism about the future of the oil sands? Well, it's been a pretty hard run for the oil sands. Um, you know, they really came online at the same time as we had the shale revolution in the States with very cheap oil. Uh, we've had, you know, environmental concerns, ESG divestment, uh, you know, poor differentials uh, for their for their crude and for heavy oil. Uh, but things are starting to look much better. Uh, and so why is that? I think a lot of Canadians still think of the oil sands as very expensive oil. And about 10 years ago, it was an expensive oil, but it's gotten much cheaper. In fact, it's cheaper now than new shale. So a lot of those guys are breaking even at $40 a barrel, which I think surprises a lot of people. When you have oil prices like today around $80, $85, uh, you're getting a very profitable uh, return on your production. And then there's, you know, the heavy oil itself. So I think people think the oil sands heavy oil is, is, a, is an inferior grade. It does usually sell at a discount. But there's something you actually need heavy fuel for, um, for some products, refined products that we make, like asphalt, some plastics, some chemicals. And there's actually a lot of refineries in the United States that require heavy oil. They can't, they can't do their work without it. And they produce almost none of that heavy oil in the state. So we're actually seeing a stronger demand for some heavy oil lately, which is also increasing prices. And then the last thing I'll mention, uh, people know the oil sands as a dirty GHG intense barrel. Um, and, and it is. And all heavy oil is GHG intensive. And as well, heavy oil is even much worse. But because of the way the oil sands are, are positioned, their geography and their composition, it's actually much easier to decarbonize. Where you're really looking, you know, you can decarbonize and get to net zero like just by carbon capturing uh, and doing things with about 20 concentrated facilities. With conventional oil where you had, you know, 100 pump jacks, you know, screwed kind of epox on the land, it'd be a lot harder to decarbonize. So, so the features that make them, you know, GHG intense are also going to help them uh, become net zero. And it's really been something that the oil industry, Heather, has been working on, you know, very hard over the past number of years, isn't it? To try and, and avoid that dirty oil sort of moniker that they've been stuck with and, and make sure that they can be a cleaner, better alternative to what it was. Does does the rest of the world recognize that or is it just, you know, something that they're going to have to continue to work at? Again, I think when when there was a lot of new U.S. shale oil coming online, um, you know, it was, it was a buyer's market, you know, that, that people could get cheap oil from a lot of different sources. Now we're trying to get off Russian oil. Middle Eastern OPEC oil is looking a bit more compromised. Uh, shale is starting to plateau. Uh, the demand for heavy oil is so high that last week the United States actually, um, you know, cut off their sanctions on Venezuelan oil. Venezuelan oil is by far dirtier <laughs> than, than Canadian oil sands, another very super heavy oil. Um, and so now, you know, when you need heavy oil, the Canadian oil sands are starting to look good. They have by far the most, I think, concerted net zero decarbonization plan. Um, and like I say, after we start, you know, you know, burning gasoline in our cars, we're still going to need hydrocarbons for a lot of products. And a lot of that can come out of the oil sands. We have been watching, Heather, and by the way, speaking with Heather Exner, Perot from the McDonald Laurier Institute and the Energy Environment Program at the MLI. Um, we've been watching geopolitical events unfold in front of our eyes over the past several weeks here. Uh, what has that done for the oil sands position in the oil market? How has that had an impact? 
also, you know, one of the, one of the challenges uh, that the oil sands have faced is almost no, you know, pipeline egress. You know, we've had this battle over pipelines in Canada for the last 10 years. It's been very hard for them to ramp up production uh, because there's no way to get their product to market. So two things have changed in the last little while. One is Line 3, Enbridge's Line 3 came online. And in early 2024, TMX looks like it'll finally be completed. That is going to really, you know, so right now we, we send 99% of our, I think, or 96% of our oil to the United States. Um, so really we've been price takers from what they need. But once we can export through TMX to different global markets, then then we'll be able to have some choice of where our customers go. So that's going to allow us to displace some of the other heavy oil in, in the global markets that, you know, basically right now we just been sending it all to the United States. So so everyone is looking forward to having that nice Canadian heavy oil come on the market and give them some different options. Heather, in your view, what is the outlook for the future of Alberta's oil sands? I mean, I'm very positive, you know, and that's why, you know, I'm a big proponent of the CCUS, and even they're looking at SMR seed carbonized because I really think we're going to use that oil. We're going to need that oil. Uh, I think demand, you know, will, will peak and, and, and start to slowly decline in the 2030s. But I think supply, especially American supply, will start to deplete faster than demand will deplete. And so right now, Canada is the only OECD, the only Western country with the top 10 uh, reserves in the world. All the rest are, are uh, you know, authoritarian countries. And so even as oil demand starts to slowly decline, we need some non-OPEC, non-Russian, you know, non-Venezuelan sources out there. Um, and it's got to come from Canada. Uh, you know, Nor- Norway and, and the United States are producing quite a bit now. Uh, but they aren't going to be able to ramp up, uh, you know, to keep up with demand. So I think it's very important that we have this this ethical uh, Canadian source, and I think it's very important that we, we, you know, tailor down the GHG intensity as much as possible so we can feel good about what we're offering. Great stuff. Thank you so much for your time and your insight, Heather. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. That is Heather Exner-Perot, Senior Fellow and Director of the Natural Resources, Energy and Environment Program at the McDonald laurier Institute. And I just, I love the positivity there. And she lays it out in plain terms. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's so funny how I, the term, I didn't take offense to it years ago when they were calling it tar sands. I thought, okay, well. Right, and then but now it's... In, and they said oil, because it does give you an idea of the product, the end result we're talking about here. But how people use verbiage and tar sands to, to, to muddy what we, excuse the pun. When are we not looking beyond our borders? Like she was mentioning Venezuela. Are we not looking at how mm-hmm. things are done? Are we not looking at how women are treated in certain countries? But they got a good price on this on this product. You know, bottom line, it's it's, it's really line, bizarre, right? But that, that was super positive, and I like that. I do too. I because think it's important. what we do. And I, you know, we're another a positive topic as we've been chatting about this morning is interest rates and and mortgage rates, etc. And you know, it's tough to be positive about a lot of things in the world right now, but I'm glad, you know, our, our oil and gas industry, it's the lifeblood of this country. It is. And it is. of this province, obviously. And there's no, you know, nobody working harder than the oil and gas industry itself to make sure that it's clean and mm-hmm. renewable and, you know, as sustainable as possible. And as much as... I think, was it uh, Monday? I went and filled up my car, and I went to one of the Costco's. It was about, I think, $1.28 a liter, which was fantastic. Uh, some The prices have come down at the pumps, by the way. I've seen $1.39, $1.34.9, thereabouts. Uh, but, but 
in the grand scheme of things, if you if you have friends across the country, pick up the phone and call and ask what gas is. When I was out in the island uh, in Victoria oh, yeah. a month and a half ago, I believe it was like buck ninety five. Um, what was the we, picture? I sent you one from the states. It was like five sixty nine a gallon, yeah. I think. I did the math Which and is, I can't remember now what it was, a, but it was a, way a, higher. About a buck thirty five, buck forty ish thereabouts. I'm just throwing it out there, but. Uh, we, 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 we don't have it so bad here, mm-hmm. uh, but it is, it, it's the toughest time. And, and I want to bring it back to the mortgage talk briefly. The difference between now and the early 80s is it's everything that we're yes. going to hit on. So, uh, But that was a great talk about uh, our oil sands and what we do here.